You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. to all of our glorious listeners. It is a beautiful, cool spring morning and you're in for another wonderful 3CR gardening show. My name is Chloe Foster and with me today is Craig Wilson of Gentiana Nursery, Emmeline Bowman, landscape architect and boss of STEM Landscapes, and a very warm welcome back to the 3CR studios to Michelle Adler, uh, owner of Adland Tours and author of a new book, Burnley Gardens, Their Design and the People Who Love Them. Uh, Michelle has taught some of the finest horticulturalists in Melbourne as she taught at Burnley for over 30 years. So welcome back, Michelle, and welcome, Thank you. Craig Thank and you. Emmeline. Good morning. Good morning. It was so sunny when I when I drove in this morning. Beautiful morning, and you're denying me my morning in the garden. <laughs> I do apologise for that. <laughs> Never mind, there'll be plenty of time later. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this day's going to be glorious. Yes. Yeah, tomorrow's another day. Yeah. Um, yesterday was absolutely glorious and mm. the Craig, I think you would have experienced a little bit of um, some traffic challenges up in the Dandenong Ranges this weekend. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Why was that? Oh, because it's spring and everyone comes up and there's been a resurgence of popularity in the Dandenongs. Okay. It, it was gridlocked wow. for most of the day. Yeah. Oh Absolutely gridlocked. The Tesla yeah. Tulip Festival oh. is on at the moment as and well. And the Rhododendron Gardens, so you have the two. Yeah. 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 That are, they're on the same road, aren't they? No, but they sort of interlock. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit out of the city loop these days, <laughs> living in Briagalong in central Gippsland, yes. where there's no traffic at all. Well, that's normally <laughs> the case for us. I mean, it's not mm. not like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It, it's a Vic Roads issue. You know, they need to get on and sort it out. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We've got a house up at Hoddles and we were there this whole weekend and it was mayhem. Yeah. Just the roads are just packed all yeah. the time. And yep. look, it's a good thing. It's for great. people to get out into the country yeah. on the weekend. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. I'm glad that they are getting out. Yeah, absolutely. Getting out into the into the country and looking at the forests and fresh parts. It, it, it fresh doesn't air. necessarily translate into business for me because <laughs> 
I don't have the sort of things that they're looking for. Mm. So really they come in and take sure. selfies in front of the magnolia. <laughs> you should charge them a magnolia yes. selfie yeah. fee. Yes. You need to charge for it. Yeah. <laughs> two dollars. Yeah. Or, do- or donation. Don't limit it to two. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Just any donation in a little box. The magnolias <laughs> yeah. at your place, Craig, are looking stunning at the Aren't moment. They? I yeah. was there oh just over a week ago mm-hmm. with a group of students. They would have been at their peak then. Yeah, the yeah. white ones down the back. Yeah. But the one up the front was the one that caught my eye. Was it, um, I've forgotten the name, Cambellii? S- no, oh, the big one was still out, was it? Yes. Cambellii. Cambellii. Yeah, that's right. It had massive, it was like the typical port wine magnolia flowers, but double the size of what you usually see and it was absolutely stunning and a fun fact that Craig told me is that it takes 20 years to get a flower yeah oh really Cambellia is a species yes so how old is this this tree look I don't I reckon that with all the big trees on the place would have been planted in the 30s I think Okay. When, yeah. did, when did you take it over, Craig? 22 years I've been there. Oh, okay. So yeah. you've got quite a long history with it. That's mm. right, yeah. 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 Have you got a favourite magnolia? Oh, it depends when they're flowering. They're all, they're all your favourites, aren't they? <laughs> no, not necessarily. I don't, I'm don't. i not that keen on the, the really dark ones because I think it's an awkward colour to mm. fit into the garden. I agree. Yeah, yeah. but um, Lenii alba, yes. which I think is the best white. Because it doesn't have any other colour in it, it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, yes, and it one? sets copious seed. Oh, really? alba. Have you ever grown it from seed? No, no, no. I don't know what you'd get. Well, that's right. Yeah, but wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, well, if you want some, <laughs> <laughs> the, the carawongs love it. Well, give it a go. Oh, yeah, they love it. Yeah, because yeah, get carawongs come down in, in huge flocks when the seed's setting. Really? Yeah. Oh, Can we eat it? Do you think? I, I don't would imagine you probably can, because magnolias are very edible. Mm. Everything likes to eat them. That's a, mm. If I see animals eat it, I'm always like, I want to taste mm-hmm. it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll but back, it's not always the case. <laughs> it's not always the case. For example, Melia azedarach, the white cedar, um, with its little berries, mm. the birds come down and eat that. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the few plants that are known to be Death by plant yeah. for humans. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you can't necessarily just translate what the birds are eating that is, mm. is going to be okay for us. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing their biologies are so different. It's like even yes. birds, if they were to have a, the hottest chili, yes. they actually don't have the taste bud receptors to feel the heat. Heat. And yeah. bower birds are the big consumers of yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, certainly in my in, in my your area. Gut. Is that what mm. Satin bowerbirds? Uh, yes, yeah. the satin bowerbirds. Yeah. They're going crazy Beautiful. at the moment. Yeah. I've got all the females like <laughs> making this <laughs> noise. <laughs> I, lo- I love that they do because as soon as yeah. they get, <laughs> you know, they're calling their they're mates calling. to come down and eat what's yeah. in your garden. Exactly. <laughs> things happening. <laughs> they're the pests that you have in your garden. Oh, that unbelievable pests. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're yeah. plundering it at the moment. <laughs> they are. Mm. Actually, I have a, now a little trick. I have a clap. But I clap loud, mm. and when they're going, and I clap, I chase them a bit, mm. and they now have learned that if I just clap, they should go. Mm. Oh. They're very yeah. intelligent. Well, yeah. most birds are all intelligent, yeah. but yeah. 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 That's, and, that's and like there's a sulfur-crested cockatoos. As soon as I walk out the front door, they take off. They know. They know me. They know. Has, speaking yeah. of sulfur-crested, anyone, I have gone to a couple of properties lately and I don't know if the cockies are taking revenge on humans because they are like up in Macedon. They're chewing 
all the people's houses. Like mm-hmm. I've gone to multiple properties mm. and they're like just ripping houses apart. Mm. But then down in the Dandenongs, nothing's happening there. Then at my dad's, which is in Gippsland between Rosso and Mafra, they're going through and they're like just decimating trees and things like that. So yeah. there's all these different, different clans different clans and mm. social things that are happening with the yeah. cockies of late. They, they do just, chew houses in yeah, the house. They yeah. They out yeah. water from the root. Yeah. From the yeah. Tiles. But they all seem to have different behaviours mm. depending on the location, which is interesting. So they're obviously just telling each other. And yeah. some of them will just get stuck into gardens just from yeah. having yeah. eagle. I had a garden and we up at um, Kyneton. I had a garden. Oh, sorry. We, <laughs> I had a garden we designed, sorry, <laughs> in Kyneton. I'm getting all into it because I'm like, they ate all the billy button balls off. Oh, they, no. de- they deadheaded them. That is evil. Yeah. yeah that is evil. And Every single one. And yeah. they're all on the ground. Just recently, they stripped a juniper that I had. Really? I, ca- oh. I came into the garden and there's all these little juniper berries and, and leaf and little branches down the bottom. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Cockies. I, I do but love them, though. I find them funny, funny things. And I, I find it cheeky, but at the same time, like... Oh, I have a little bit of a, I have a bit of a laugh. I'm like, oh, they're getting revenge on us. You know, that's what they're doing. Oh, I have a friend and he has a bird bath on his back veranda and, and the sulfur crested's found it. So he puts some chicken wire over it. So he he can look out from his kitchen window and two of them come down and lift it off. Oh. <laughs> like you idiot. Mm-hmm. We know we're not we know stupid. How to do that. Yeah. I have them my at my old place, my my neighbour used to have them pick all the flowers off mm. her plants mm-hmm. in her new, and sometimes rip out freshly planted plants. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But next door in my garden, they didn't touch the plants that I put in, but they helped me weed. The, the front lawn had that little purple. Um, uh, it's rom- a, one of the um, romula. Yes, yes, one of the onion weedy mm. ones. And yeah. they they pulled out the bulbs. They pulled them all out. They had respect for you. That was pretty they nice. They must have done something to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do because I have like I have pet lorikeets and we've had birds and when they're ap- upset at you, they annoy you. They'll they'll do things yeah. because they're angry. I have this had this um, fern that I really loved at home. I would look at it all the time, and then this one day of Pringles, I can't remember. I didn't give her enough attention, and she does this thing where I used to come home, and if she'd done something bad, she goes yes, 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 yes. <laughs> she does this yes, yes. Anyway, so I was like, oh, what have you done? <laughs> And I went up to this first, the splenium, and, um, yep, hacked to death. And she's there like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I know you did that to me because you're upset at me. But there, they hold grudges and then they and, seek revenge. And they live long lives. Mm-hmm. Very long lives. Thing. So maybe how long does a grudge last? Um, <laughs> they, oh, they get over it, but it depends on what you've done. <laughs> what, what do you think you did, Emily? No, I just didn't give, I didn't give her attention that day because I ran, I had to go to work and usually like I come out and I, like she's very, I used, I raised her from a chick. So I just hadn't been with her that day. So she gets upset. Oh. So you have to give them attention. Oh. Yeah. And she's like free. She's, it's in the backyard and the tree and yeah. yeah. But yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. We, we were away for a little while uh, and came back and found our wooden doors had been hacked to oh. pieces. From the self-aggressive. <laughs> from the self-aggressive. Yeah. Well, I can't, I don't know for sure. Allegedly the yeah. self-aggressive, but it could have been the king parrots. Mm. They they do a bit of um, destruction from time to time. Yeah. But, you know, those challenges come for us gardeners, don't they? Mm. It's not all just let's plant it and water it and go. I mean, with, with native animals, you just live with it. Yeah. Mm. I like That's them. That's it. I want them there. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. 
and also look at our place. We've established a, a fairly large wetland of about 10 acres. And, of course, we're encouraging the, the mm-hmm. wildlife. We want the native wildlife. Yep. But, you know, you sort of want it on your terms. You want them there. <laughs> I know. Not there. <laughs> Not there. You, you, want the, you want a balance of diversity, though. And I, I know in the suburbs a lot now is there's quite high numbers of the sulphur-crested cockies. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the balance is out a little bit. Yes. Yeah might be a little bit more in balance where you are. Yeah, Michelle. well, it depends. I think in Braggalong Township, it's quite out of balance there. I suspect what's happened is because we've cleared a lot of the land mm-hmm. then, and we've planted crops that the um, the cockies like, mm. that we've actually feeding them in many respects mm. and then they breed. Mm. And then, of course, there's a, 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 an explosion of them. Mm. I do wonder yeah. with a lot of our larger parrot species, though, that because a lot of these birds, they reside in hollows and they live to like, what, 80 years. Mm. It does worry me, though, that how old are the species that we are, that are sort of in our communities now? Are they increasing mm. or are they ageing? Yeah, are they, mm. have we yeah. got an age? Like, I always think that. I'm like, I wonder how old these are. Like, are we just seeing the peak before something might happen? It's the same with black cockatoos because black cockatoos, we had vast numbers and they've been decimated. Yeah. So you might be seeing very old flocks, mm. very What's elderly. happening in the Dandenongs is mm. that the, the, the sulphur crested are moving in, which is it's not the forest is not their territory. They're, they're more sort of savannah birds, mm. and they take the, the nesting sites from the blacks yeah. and the gangangs. Yeah, mm. so it yeah. does concern me. Yeah. Yeah. This is the point that everyone should sort of think about because they are old. Yeah, that's like, blown my mind. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> Maybe too, someone. Yeah, they live as long as us. PhD on it already, perhaps. Somebody. They probably, yeah. Yeah, I guess. If yeah. someone is and they're listening, please call yeah, in. Yeah, please call in. <laughs> the black cockatoos are like primates. Oh. They're incredible. I love, like, we, because we're up at um, the Dandenongs too, and like to hear them in the morning, it's yeah. like, it is dinosaurs. Like, <laughs> Mm. It's just such a beautiful love sound. Love your birds. Oh, yeah, she's, she's so good. Birds, isn't she? <laughs> I'll listen to animals. We get, them, we get them at Burnley Gardens too, here in Melbourne at yeah. Burnley. Um, they come and sit up in the top of the big old pine trees, the Pinus canariensis, oh, for example. Yeah. They'll uh, the yellow-tailed black yes, cockatoos will sit up there, and they'll open up the pine cones yeah. to mm-hmm. get the seed, and then throw the pine, pine cones <laughs> down on you. That makes yeah, well, that makes sense. But it's sort of rather nice. Well, it's, it's a real treat seeing the, the black cockies. I love them. And their sound is absolutely it's beautiful. It's stunning. Yeah, but it they're, probably the reason why they're eating the pines is because their main food source was the bull oaks or alacasharinas. So mm-hmm. I guess that's how they've adapted to, to work in with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They love the pines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that they're there, though, since yeah. it's an alternative. And that's the other thing that we always have to be very wary of is, yes, they might be exotic and in some areas people might be taking them out, but. They have become the new food source to a lot of different yeah. animal species. Mm-hmm. We have to be careful. I was working in a garden on Mount Dandenong one morning and there was little bits of wood dropping on me. I to <laughs> figure out what was going on. And then finally I worked out up in the Blackwoods, there was black cockatoos yeah. Getting under the bark, getting yeah, the grubs the out. Big grubs. Yeah. I've seen that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw them doing that along the Dandenong Creek just yeah. recently, yeah. and yeah. they were quite low. They were they were sort of at, at my eye level. Mm-hmm. 
um, getting stuck into all the old, the dead wood and mm. And they love the Acacia Mernsei, the black mm-hmm. bottles as well. Mm-hmm. So they'll come in and they'll strip off the bark and get in, mm. get in for the grubs. Yep. So, you know, quite often people will take out those acacias as they get old because mm. they get a bit crumbly mm. and they start dropping stuff. Um, but really they are an important food source it, yep. and they're important hiding spots for critters, yep. know, spiders and other insects and so on. That's it. So, you know, the, those acacia mernseyes, which are often uh, establishment or pioneer plants, um, they grow very quickly and, and look really lush for the first three, four, five years, mm. and then they start to demise. Mm. But at, during their demission... Yeah. <laughs> in that uh, sense. <laughs> you would. Yeah. Um, they're, they're important for all sorts mm. of critters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Absolutely. I must open up the phone lines and remind listeners that you are tuned in to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and I have a lovely panel of people with me this morning. Craig Wilson of Gentiana Nursery, Emmeline Bowman of STEM Landscapes and Michelle Adler, um, we love her, oh. horticultural educator and author of her new book. Michelle, let's talk about your new book. It's called Burnley Gardens, Their Design and the People Who Love Them. <laughs> It's a big book and there's some beautiful images in here. But tell me about some of the important content in the book. Well, look, the um, the, the design of the book itself um, is long-standing. The Friends Group had a, a notion that they wanted to have not just a history book but a book on the design of the gardens mm. because the, the gardens have existed since 1860 when they were first gazetted, 17th of December, 1860. Mm. And during the next hundred plus years, there have been has been evolution of the gardens over over time. So things have changed as n- new people have come along, as new owners have come along, as the direction of the uh, the gardens changed from um, a horticultural experimental station mm. through to an educational institution. And then over the period, and that happened in 1891 when um, the uh, Horticultural Society of Victoria gave up the gardens. Well, not gave up, they sold the gardens Mm. to the Department of Agriculture. That was 1891. And then from 1891 to now, there have been a whole series of owners, Department of Ag, Victorian College of Agriculture and Horticulture, University of Melbourne, Mm. which it is currently Mm. under the care of the University of Melbourne. So as things changed, also designs changed but but plants came and went too so you know big old trees that might have been planted in 1861 which we now know that was the earliest plantings Mm. um, some of those trees have demised over over time as a tree dies Mm. particularly trees as a tree dies then it leaves a a gap a gap in the canopy so things that might have been enjoying the shelter or the shade, are now exposed. Mm. So that, you know, all the normal things that happen in gardens or people's gardens have happened at Burnley as well, except for the fact that it's happened over a very long time. Mm. So we wanted to document the design, the designers, and the people who had input into designs yeah. of the gardens. And um, and what you see is uh, I had we had to limit it. <laughs> we had to limit it to the core, the historic core of the gardens, mm. because there is also an orchard now called a field station, and there's an extra section towards uh, Swan Street, which I really didn't tackle very much, um, simply because of space, yeah. space 
conditions. And, and so it's the, more or less the historic core of the gardens that I've, I've looked at. And uh, it, it, it consumed me for <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Fortunately, we had lockdown. Oh. <laughs> Thank goodness for lockdown. Yes. Yeah, you've had a lot of time on your hands. Mm, indeed. Uh, there's, there's a whole swathe of people that you have spoken about in this book. Can I, can I pick out a couple? Yeah, go. Um, Edna Walling obviously is a standout. Yes. Straight up. What's it, her connection with Burnley? Well, she was a student at Burnley, mm. but she didn't actually, as far as we know, she didn't actually do any designs um, at the gardens, mm. but there are photographs of her as a student uh, there. So she gets a, a mention, but she's not uh, one of the major designers. Mm. Um, she, she was, she's become very famous, yeah. but there's no design that we can attribute to her. At, at the gardens okay. themselves. Um, and in more recent memory, Sandra McMahon as well. Picked out a couple of girls to start <laughs> off of with. Of course, that's a good idea. <laughs> Sandra McMahon is the Friends of Burnley Gardens' current president and she did a, a wonderful design on the Swan Street entrance. So her design, um, as, you, as you drive along Swan Street, if you're driving into the city mm. across the Wallen Street Bridge... Um, you'll find her amazing garden there, which is very, very colourful, lots and lots of aloes and mm. um, colourful oranges and purpley blues. She chose the colour of the university blue at, in their logo as a, um, as a starting point for the design and then she chose the opposing colour on the colour wheel to complement it. So mm. it's lots of lovely purples and oranges and sort of deep reds and uh, it, there's always something going on there. So if you're stuck in traffic <laughs> on Swan Street, just hope you get stuck outside the <laughs> Gardens. I actually have been, and that's, I didn't know that she designed that bit there because it is, it, it is a really nice standout and it is yeah. nice and bright and quite welcoming and it does, it's, a, it's still a well-kept part of the garden. It's great. Yeah. And, and the design that you don't see sitting in Swan Street in the, <laughs> in the traffic is that um, on the reverse side of that is our series of rock tiers mm. and she's designed a color spectrum garden that is has been planted there so all the colors of the of the spectrum are highlighted wow. in that rock tier so if you ever have a chance to get out of your car <laughs> or even drive in and park for a minute yeah. um, you'll be able to see the the rock tiers that go into mm. the um, the paddock yeah. that's yeah. just beyond the gardens. So the initial layout of the part of the gardens that you focused on, the, the original layout, who yes. were the people that, that set that up? Well, there was um, the, Victor the Horticultural Society of Victoria were the, the custodians of the gardens initially. Mm. They were awarded 25 acres in the survey paddock, which is what it was called in those days, mm. um, for their experimental gardens. Now, the experimental gardens consisted of two sections. One was a ornamental section of about seven acres and the second section was um, for orchard experimentation. Remember 1860, very early days mm. of the colony and people were still bringing in plants to trial mm. them to see whether they would work here. Mm. Lots of trees came in, particularly fruit trees is what they were interested in and lots of trees came in and they didn't really even have consistent names for them. Mm. So some apple trees would be sold under one name, but the same apple tree would be sold under another name. Mm. So mm. 
the Horticultural Society of Victoria tried to standardise what was being sold and also that their orchard had something very early on, like 1,400 different specimens growing. It was, was huge and they were evaluating them. Some of the early records that Jane Wilson, our archivist, has, um, she has big um, um, ledgers of of trees and names and who donated them and whether they were successful or not. Wow. So they were, you know, they were assessing and they were culling and they were, uh, they were also giving scions, pieces of wood, mm. out to the various orchards so that they could be grown. Mm. Um, and so that, that was what the early hit- historical uh, Victorian Horticultural Society was doing. That mm. was their uh, mantra. And then uh, you know things happened. Like there was a huge, there were huge floods, and they lost their orchard, and oh. they had to re, reconfigure and replant. I mean, it's been a wonderful journey for yeah. me. Yeah. Even though I worked at the uni for thirty years, and I knew m- much of this stuff at a cerebral level, I didn't really understand yeah. how important those early horticulturists were to what we have in Melbourne. Mm. They were amazing and they were the cream of society because when I started to look at who, I mean, they were just names on in a newspaper mm. article and I started to say, well, you know, who was that and where did they come from and why were they here? So I, I started to research all the people, found photographs of a lot of them mm. so that instead of just being names on the page, they became real people to me and they were architects and they were insurance people and they owned banks and there was von Mueller who was the government botanist Mm. he was on the committee as well and they were the cream of Melbourne society who were really responsible for a lot of social change Mm. and and there they were working away at these horticultural gardens and bringing a lot of what we have now to Melbourne and Victoria and more. Giving Melbourne its Garden State name. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple of calls to get to, so we'll get back to the book and your involvement with the Friends of Burnley Gardens later on. Um, But we must say a good morning to uh, Shah in Williamstown. Hello. Oh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I have a question. Uh, I have got... Um, a citrus, two citrus trees. One's a lemon and a grapefruit and a fig tree. And every night I seem to have um, a bit of activity out in the garden with possums, which are stripping not the fruit, the bark off the tree. And I'm really worried: will the tree survive? Will they, or will they permanently be damaged? Can a tree survive that sort of treatment? Depends if it's been mm. ringbarked. Yeah. If if there's places where the bark's continuous, then it will survive and heal. But if it's ringbarked, it won't. Mm. And that, that can take quite a long time to show up. Is ringbarked when it's down the bottom of the tree? Or? Yeah. Or well, ringbark it can be anywhere. The complete yeah. circumference of the trunk's been yeah. the bark's been taken off. Mm. Seems to be more where the up the top um, where they can run along. Um, but the fig tree, they almost took the branches off. They just sort of jumped, probably jumped on them and they were just a mess down the bottom. Oh, what but a this, shame. Is there, um, is there a way you can put a bit of a barrier on the fence so you can stop them running across there? Because if they're 
If they've been positioned along the fence, then that's where they can track through and then jump onto the tree. And then there's what other, because they're um, focusing on these trees, is there other plants that they can eat or are you in a relatively... Um, I'm in a small back garden, but they don't touch the fajoas. They don't touch uh, in, in, oh, permison, permison trees. They just seem to go for the citrus and leave the fruit. Mm. And I just, I just tried pos off, which I got from the nursery, but that didn't help. No, and I tried well. putting aluminium foil, you know, around <laughs> the main branches. That didn't help. Oh. They're, they're, I just wonder if it's ever going to stop. I just. They, they do, do have favourites. I mean, mm. they will actually choose um, certain trees that they'll focus on for yeah. quite some time, and then they'll get another favourite. Yeah, I'm maybe. sorry to tell you yeah. that. <laughs> uh, like the chocolate. You, you can yeah. you can get. I don't know if you can still get little uh, electric fences, little electric um, oh. wires yeah. that are not very uh, strong mm. yeah. that you can put along the the top of the fence, so that when they they run along they get a little electric shock and then they don't like that of course mm, yeah. um so I, I believe you can still get those they Emily, they you know? also have um they're actually like a, a roller that you can attach the top of your fence so when they crawl across it the roll will obviously roll roll <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I don't like about these is if you have a neighbour who has a dog or something like that because, oh, you know, yeah. essentially if a possum or some animal is climbing on the fence, it's used to stop cats. But if something is crawling on the fence and it falls down and something's there on the other side, that's what I don't like about them. Yeah. But they yeah. use them. You can Google it. It's just it's a roller. You attach it to the fence. It's to stop cats from jumping into your backyard. And you oh. could essentially attach that to the fence to stop them from getting into that particular yes. area or section mm. of your fence. Mm. The oh, other thing okay. that I have done, um, because we live way out in the country and we do have lots of possums as well, um, <clears throat> is I've used a hose to, um, to spray them. So that means you have to also be up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but using a hose doesn't hurt them mm. and mm. simply deters them. So you might have to set your alarm, you know, for... It's usually about 10 o'clock, yeah. 11. It is early in the evening. It's yeah. early in the evening when they arrive. Yeah, 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 I've heard, because I do have a lot of dogs around me and they all start mm. barking. So uh. I have to be potentially out there nearly all night. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. you only have to do it for a few nights and oh. then they get the message. Yeah, I was going to say, they're pretty smart. Like mm. if you associate that that tree and you're, you know, declaring that this tree can't be touched, mm. teach them and yep. and do it consecutively. Um, to the point that that animal will then realise and then go, oh, it's not worth my time anymore. I'm going to go mm. annoy Susie down the road now. <laughs> and if <laughs> they're chewing bark on the trunks, then I'd, I'd wrap it in chicken wire. And, yeah, oh, that's right. true too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, protect them. Oh, thank you. You've given me a few pointers. I might give it a try with the water. Let us know how you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I've, this, these trees have never been attacked like this ever. They've, they've found them. Yeah, they've just found oh, them. Yeah. Mm. And also it's spring and there's lots of sugar in the sap. And they've got babies. Oh. You they, might they, see they them. They sort of become no, obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I always see a little possum's face and they might eat a tree, but I'm like, oh, God, they're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. They're beautiful. <laughs> oh, well, I'll give it a go and I'll, I'll ring back in a few weeks and see how <laughs> Report. we go. Good. Yeah. Uh, it'd be good to hear you. Good luck, Shah. 
Uh, and we have another caller. Welcome to Jamie from Coburg. How are you? Oh, thanks, Chloe. I'm very well. Um, last week you were talking about wasabi. Yeah, we were. And I was just uh, trying to get hold of some seeds, but but I, I couldn't actually find any. They were either out of stock or they didn't do mail orders. Or Can you sort of point me in the right direction? It would have to be... Grown in Australia because we can't import seed anymore. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, my suggestion would be to get on to Wood Bank Nursery in Tasmania. Oh, yeah. And he'll send you plants. Mm. Ah, excellent. Yeah. Last week, Emma Heard brought in a pot that she bought the wasabi plant from, but I can't yeah. remember where she got it from. Jamie, if you want to hold on the line um, once we've finished talking to you and we can get your details, Doug will get your details, um, and I can find out from Emma where she got that plant from. If you're interested in the plant. One left. Do you want to grow them from seed or do you just want to plant? Oh, I don't mind. I um, I, I use a lot for, for, you know, sushi and stuff, Mm. but I I just thought I'd like to grow it and... And I've got a small place, so it would need to be in a pot. That's probably the best way anyway because mm, it needs yeah. lots of moisture. Yeah. I'm just going to yeah, say they're yeah, actually yeah. quite difficult to grow and have very particular requirements. I've had a look yeah, at growing it perhaps at our place. But now, no. where to get it. <laughs> I have one plant left in the nursery, so oh. if you want that one, I'll put it aside for you. Oh, well, sure, sure. I'll... Yeah. Well, if well, you hold on the line, Jamie, and yeah, we'll get your details... But but Dan Dan Magnus in Tasmania usually lists them. Okay, so Woodbank Wood Nursery. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. All okay, right. well, thanks a lot. That's okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Good. And we've had a text message come in. Question for Craig mm. from John from Hurstbridge asking if you use different mulch for the paths versus the planted gardens where you are. I like putting gravel on the paths. Yeah. I, I use crushed recycled concrete mm-hmm. yeah. um, because it's, it's a recycled product. It's good to use it. And it do- and obviously doesn't break down too quickly. No, it's, it's great. And it really, <laughs> yeah. it, it really mm-hmm. packs down yeah. 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 because it's got the cement in it. Mm. And how, does, how does it go for weed populations? You know, not too bad. No, not too S- bad. I mean, the same as the toppings. Same as, same mm. as. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't put – I mean, some people put sawdust on the paths, but it's constant if you do that. Mm. Mm. But if you get the recycled concrete, you can put it down really thick and you, it lasts for years. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's a good idea. I, I must officially open up the phone lines. It's clear that people are saving the phone numbers in their phones, so that's good. <laughs> um, if you have a question for any of the panel, please give us a call on 94190155. Uh, and the text line is open today as well. And our text number is 0488 809 855. If you're a podcaster uh, or if you missed the start of the show, you can catch us up. You can catch us up on the podcast, any podcast app, but also on the 3CR website are all our past episodes as well. We are on Facebook and Instagram, so it's another way that you can get in contact with us and join in the gardening fun. Now, I must get to some community announcements. Uh, as I said before, the Tesla's Tulip Festival is still on. So if you're looking for something to do today, and it's running until the 9th of October. So you can 
uh, every every single day up until the 9th of October, the festival's running. Um, really fun for the kids, and there's lots of the tulip fields are absolutely beautiful. Um, the This week, the 7th Global Botanic Gardens Congress is on, so if there's any industry people that are still... Um, that are still thinking about it, there are tickets available. So if you can just go onto the 7th Global Botanic Gardens Conference, sorry, Congress website, um, you'll be able to access that. Um, a quick reminder of some, of some other conferences that are coming up. Uh, the Australian and New Zealand um, Herb Conference is being held at Burnley Gardens on the 8th and 9th of October. For more information there, jump onto the herbsocietyvic.org.au website. Um, and there's some pretty, there's a pretty big lineup of people presenting there. Um, the Australian Rhododendron Society, no, I'm reading the wrong date there. <laughs> That's already <laughs> happened. The date I'm looking for is the Macedon and District Hort Society Garden Lovers Fair. This is on next weekend. Uh, the 1st and the 2nd of October. Um, there's me- about 40 stall holders with a range of plants and there are some gardens that are open on the Saturday and the Sunday which aren't usually open to the public and they're open through Open Gardens Victoria. And for our lucky listeners, I'm doing this a little bit later on in the morning so that some sleep innerers have a chance at getting... <laughs> Um, a double pass to these beautiful open gardens. Um, as we've said before, uh, the organisation Open Gardens Victoria are amazing supporters uh, of the 3CR Gardening Show and they've given us, again, uh, a couple of double pass tickets for two gardens that are open up at Macedon next weekend. So the first one that we have a double pass to is Lewisham. It's on 305 Mount Macedon Road, Macedon. The garden and house are in the Victorian Gothic style. It's a 2.3 hectare garden of cherry blossoms, crab apples, camellias, mature and very established trees. There's bridges that uh, will take you over lakes and ponds, some really big lawns, hedged gardens, pergolas, arches and lots of garden art. So that is Lewisham. We have a double pass available for that garden. And the other garden that is open is Durrell and that's on, that's on 800 Mount Macedon Road in Mount Macedon. Uh, it's an old example of a hill station property, one of the earlier properties up in that, in that area. And the gardens date back to the earlier 20th century and they've got uh, an enclosed garden which was done by Edna Walling. So there's a lot of rock wall paths, mossy steps and lawns that take you through um, an array of mature trees, maples, oaks, beech, elms and ash. Now we have two we have two double passes, one for Lewisham, one for Durrell. If you want to grab that, give Doug a call on 94190155 and he is on the phone at the moment so someone could have gotten in quick. Um, but if you don't get the tickets today, we're out of lockdown now, people, and it's spring. Get out of Melbourne as we are seeing in the mm-hmm. Dandenong Ranges at the moment. 
Um, and go up to Mount Macedon next weekend. The Garden Lovers Fair is at Bollebeck, which is another beautiful heritage property up in the ranges. Uh, Forest Glade Gardens is open that weekend too. And there's going to be heaps to do. The Mount Macedon Hort Society is very, very active uh, and there's going to be heaps of stall holders there. So get going. Yeah. Go early. And it's, yeah, get early. It's all outside, so you don't have to worry too much about COVID transmission. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, you know, that's the best. It is the best. Fresh air. It is the best. Mm. All right. So that number again, if you want to ask us any questions or just have a chat, 94190155. And our text line is 0488809855. I have Craig Wilson, Michelle Adler, and Emmeline Bowman in the studio with me this morning. Join us, please. Um, we've had a text message come in from Anne in East Ringwood. She bought a wasabi plant yesterday from Warren Glen Nursery there on Warrandyte Road. So they're around. They are around. Yeah. They are around. Mm. Is it true with wasabi that they said that it's the wasabi you buy isn't actually wasabi, it's a radish, and that there's actually it's very, very hard to actually have true wasabi? It doesn't really... I have heard something like I don't know. I have heard that. I don't know a lot yeah. about the plant. Mm. I think there's various qualities. Yeah. 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 And that some of it's quite watered down. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I always thought it wasn't actually any wasabi and most of the ones that you get with sushi, it's a radish. Okay. And they put a lot of flavour. green. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Really, yeah. yeah. And a little bit of chilli. Yeah. Chilli yeah. powder. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I just remember hearing that. So. I've had difficulty keeping them. I've had it in the garden for years and... Everything likes to eat it. Does it? Mm. Really? Yeah, okay. the leaves, which is an issue. Do the leaves taste hot? Yeah. Yeah. They it do is. taste yeah, hot. Yeah, they're a bit spicy. Yeah. 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 So what do but they... it's the roots that they really use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you mm. could kind of cut up the leaf and maybe put it into a salad? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want this wasabi. It's beautiful leaves, big pleated leaves. He's got one left. (laughs) Yeah, Craig's got one left. Emma Heard bought some in, bought a pot in last week. Yeah, I have to listen to And it was only a little pot, but because of the structure of the plant, you can grow it and divide it. But it's better off in a pot with a saucer underneath because it needs that constant moisture. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Both the double passes have gone. That was very, very quick. So congratulations and thanks to those people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sources uh, can be problematic because pot culture relies on that mm. wet-dry cycle mm. and the sources is permanently wet. Yeah. Unless you don't water it, then it dries. Yeah. You can see with the saucer if it's but if, if, completely if the pot dry. Doesn't, if the pot doesn't dry yeah. out, then you kill the plant. Mm. Mm. And the other thing, of course, is that potting mix is formulated mm. so that it does aerate, yeah. doesn't it? So you really perhaps might need to experiment with your potting mix mm. to make it more water retention. Mm. Well, I would use sources if I was going away yes, for a short period yep. so that they don't dry out. But if you're home, you're better to let them dry out a bit between watering. Mm. And also, you, yeah, you'd be a better off to... Just water them more regularly than that's you do right. your other plants. Yeah. yeah, and that's just something that you have to do with that plant. Yep. Mm. Yeah, and maybe perhaps put a little bit of coir peat into the potting mix so that it does maintain a little bit of extra moisture mm. within the pot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, text message coming in from Kerry. 
What does the team think about black mulch that's been available for a few years? It looks great to use in non-productive gardens, but are there any problems with it? What, what's black mulch? Yeah, like the coloured mulch, dyed. I'm going to guess. The the dyed it's dyed. Oh, I know, I wouldn't, I would never wouldn't touch go that. near it. Not even. Those yeah. coloured mulches Ugh. never break down. Yeah. I don't know what wood they use and I don't know what the dye is that they use, but it lasts forever. The orange one looks like Donald Trump's head. <laughs> it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. I was awful. So tacky. Not no yeah. offense to anyone who has it but, in your but garden. But also the black mulch, it looks great when you first lay it down. Mm. But as soon as a leaf starts to fall on it, it looks so incredibly messy. Yeah. I've seen it laid out before underneath a pine tree and then the pine tree starts dropping its needles and like you can't rake it up because yeah. it's sitting on sitting on top of mulch. It is essentially painted on though. Like Mm. I remember looking into it ages ago. I don't know why. I was just like got on a thing of not liking it. So I started looking into it and Mm -hmm. it is. It's literally painted. Mm. I just don't see why why you put anything on as a mulch that's that's, that's got chemicals in it. Exactly. Well, maybe we need one of the listeners to call in. Somebody might have done the research on it. (laughs) I'm a bit with you. I don't particularly like the look, so I've never bothered to find it. Yeah, I'm a natural person. I like really natural mulches. I like it to break down. Mm. I I, I never go for any, like, dyed. And I don't usually use pine too much. I usually use, like, a native mulch. and I like it to break down. You want the bugs, you want the activity, yeah, yeah. you want the fungis, the mycelium. That's what gives you the health of your garden. These other products, you know, they they void they void that biological activity. And you've got to be so careful because that's not what gardens are about. It's about, yeah, they're beautiful and you want them to look clean maybe, mm. but they're also about the soil health and what's going on and how that helps the plant. Mm. But, but the beauty of a garden mm. should be in the vigour of its plants, Absolutely. not the soil surface. And that's that's what I kind of feel like. Sometimes those mulches take away. It's like, oh, my plants aren't growing, so I'm going to cover it with mulch. So you see the mulch before you see the plant. Mm. And what could actually be happening is the mulch is actually take, voiding that plant of that nutrient. Mm. And My growth. view is that the soil surface really should be messy. Like yeah. lots of bits of wood and branches mm. and logs mm-hmm. and logs, rocks. Certainly yeah. in the natural environment, you know, mm. if you think about what a forest looks like, or perhaps what a tropical forest looks like, there's always stuff yep. raining down from yeah. above. There's different, you know, bits of stick and bits of leaf mm. and bits of poo, yep. yeah. all of that sort of thing, and that adds to the whole health yeah. of the yeah. soil. Um, and what what we're trying to do with mulch is prevent the weeds, um, and and that sort of somehow has – it's a conflict, isn't it, with what would be happening in the natural environment? See, I would say preventing weeds is a byproduct. What I'm trying to do is improve the soil. Mm-hmm. And then preventing weeds comes with the territory. Mm. Yeah, it's, for me, it's all about soil. Well, in that case, you know, what what is your choice of mulch? If you Labrath if, mulch, mm. without yeah, a question. Yeah, I get that every time as well. <laughs> no, I mean, I, people, people are going to be sick of me saying this. It just happens every time I'm here. <laughs> but, yeah, it it's does. local. It's sustainable. Mm. It's the best. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's green, I've straight from the green. tree. And look, one of the things that I've been told that you can do, and I've done it once before and I've done it without doing this, is you can throw some lime out onto the garden or the lawn that you're covering up yeah. with mulch to balance this what the the so-called um, nitrogen uptake. That's that nonsense. I don't. I I think it might be too. It's nonsense because I, I've I've done it and it was fine. Didn't really the the plants 
didn't suffer. Survived, didn't yeah. suffer. And then another section where I've put on fresh green mulch yeah. without throwing out any lime. Same. Same thing. Same, Nothing same. wrong with the plants. Yeah, that's right. Flourished. Yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't quite know where this, they take up nitrogen for the, the soil nitrogen because they're leaching. still. Yeah, look, I mean, I've been using it way longer than I've been at a lender. Yeah. So for 30, 40 years mm. and I've never seen any ill effects. Mm. Yeah. And, and yeah, using the arborist, the bush mulch, the tree mulch, whatever whatever you want to call it, yeah. it's yeah, it's closed loop. So mm. much more sustainable. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what species it is, it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's just having it, I think the with the arborist mulch it's that whole range of textures. <laughs> like you have leaf, you have twigs, you have bark, mm. you have hardwood. Mm. These days with the big mulching machines they put big trunks through them. Mm. So it's that whole range and, and it's sort of like a sponge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, same uh, thing with uh, some mulch that I got one time. There was so much cypress in it, and I thought, oh, dear, is, am I going to kill everything? It didn't no, kill anything. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, look, the, really the major thing is that you don't put it on too deeply because yes. if you put it on deeply, then you get decomposition. You get the you know the warmth from the decomposing. I'm being very controversial. <laughs> well, okay, okay. I put it on super thick, oh, 20 centimetres. I only do that if it's matured. Yeah. Because if you get it fresh and you, you heat up the soil, you can get to 60, 80 degrees. Yeah. And that's not good for tree roots. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful. Yeah. Okay. I'm completely not careful. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Slap it on. And, and you know, I, mean, I, was, I, I worked for some, an older couple at Mount Dandenong who'd been putting this stuff down for 40 years in their garden. Mm. Thick, like you wouldn't believe, and the garden was phenomenal. I mean, you could dig holes to plant things with your hands. But up in the mm. up in the Dandenongs, you have that amazing volcanic topsoil. We do have beautiful well, topsoil, but it has no guts. The topsoil, mm. like if if it's not mulched, it dries out really quickly. Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and you do also have rainfall. You have lots of moisture. We do have the rain. And so things yeah. decompose fairly, Very fairly quickly. rapidly. Yeah. And it's a little bit different in, in some other yeah. areas where you don't get that quick decomposition. Craig, do you, so, ha- do you find you have a lot of like isopod or the like they call them land prawns? Do you find you have more of those too? Because the yabbies. No, no, like the little, little fleas that flick. Oh, yeah. Loads yeah. Of them. The chooks love them. Exactly. So I think it's a bit of... Because I put on a lot of mulch there compared to what I do, say, in Gippsland. Yeah. And it's because of those species. That it breaks down. That breaks down. And it's known that these species in particular, which are found in the Southern Hemisphere, yeah. are responsible for breaking down a lot of our eucalyptus tree litters. Yeah. And you find that there's a, a greater, yeah, in Dandenongs, they used to be throughout, but we are losing them. But they break down incredibly. If you start mulching in Melbourne, like with thick arborist mulch, would they turn up? Or I think the populations aren't there, so you have to be able to find some. You have to find some. They are along the Merry Creek in certain areas. I've noticed it around our office, but they are really massively responsible for that decomposing. Are they the little, sometimes known as the springtails? No, they're. I always we used to call them land prawns or okay. land fleas. So right. they look like little fleas, and you you lift your pot up, mm. and all of a sudden everything starts They're jumping everywhere. And you're yeah. right because we used to have them back at home. We used to have a little fernery. This is in Gippsland, yeah. and you know we have Mount Erica and everything behind us. But 
chickens go crazy. Yeah, yeah, like, we, we used to like deliberately leave rocks and logs. Actually, I do this all the time for like chicken coops. You, you deliberately put big logs and things. So then what happens is the chickens can't get into that certain area of the soil, uh-huh. but you get a big flux of insects and you move it for the chickens and they're like, yeah. But you're also like maintaining areas that have, like the chickens can't get to. What I do in Melbourne is I try both techniques for mulching. I'd, I'd sort of put a section of the garden and try it really thick and see mm. what happens. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I must admit I'm going to be a bit controversial here. I must admit, um, having recently had a couple of chooks, which I really enjoyed until mm. one died, oh, um, wow. <laughs> but they do, um, I worry about what they eat from the garden. Because they're voracious. They are. They're savage killers. Yeah. They are killers. They'll take uh, frogs. They'll take lizards. They'll take spiders. They'll take the springtails. Mm -hmm. They'll take the land fleas. And I made the decision not to have any more chooks because Mm. of that. Based on that. Based on that. It suddenly occurred to me that these guys are actually causing depauperation of the soil. They're not. Avian cats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Avian yeah, that's really interesting. And so I just yeah. I, I had it one of those light bulb moments yeah. and went, no, I'm just going to buy my eggs from now. Mm. I, I, I my chooks they get an hour out a day. Mm. That's it, and they don't go very far in that time because I, it's not until you know four thirty in the afternoon that I let them out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. I I agree. I think that's why if you do have chickens that. You know, you let them out for a certain time. It's really important that you have infrastructure like rock, uh, logs and rocks and things like that mm. so you can let these critters hide. Yeah. A lot of our species, the good thing about chickens is they do tend to, you know, scratch, scratch the soil, which is really important. That's right. Um, can, can and we do chook noise. <laughs> that's how I'm about to lay. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> or when you're like, they're a bit concerned. Like, <laughs> and I think the breed too. I, I mean, I, I don't keep. <laughs> We're doing chook noise. Yeah. <laughs> I don't keep any big ones. Bantam leghorns is my breed of choice, mm. and I'd, I'd be surprised if they could down a lizard. I suppose a little one. Oh, they, they do. Oh, they we do. used to have the browns yeah. and. Um, I said browns, yeah, but they're the McDonald's chooks. They are. <laughs> well, I, we, it's funny because when we were talking about the bark before and some plants, we always call it like the McDonald's gardens. So, yeah. like, because yeah. yeah. I'll use like. Yeah. We're going to have a few Isa Browns wandering around. <laughs> so we need the red mulch, brown chooks, diosma, deities, and then we've got McDonald's and Gardens. Nandinas. And Nandinas. And then we've got McDonald's Gardens yes. everywhere. But right. no, yeah, sorry. We'll, no, we'll get back to this topic in a minute. Um, we have one of our favourite special callers on the line, Alan from the UK. Good oh. morning. Morning. Or evening for me. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, I just oh, I just woke up the dog. No. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'm. I was laughing at your chickens and your chicken noises. <laughs> they, uh, we, we we keep two in the garden, but they. Uh, I, I'm the same way. I don't let them out all the time. We, mm. we don't yeah. have a lot of the wildlife. It's a it's kind of suburban garden, but they they do a lot for moving my mulch around mm. when we've had such dry spells because mm. if they don't move it the rain doesn't get through so in there a couple hours out a day they really kind of shift things about and the rain will get through 
and saves me from having to go under the shrubs and stuff. So, mm, yeah. so it's nice to have them around. Mm. Bit, so. well, they're forest uh, animals anyway, yeah. so in their natural environment, they'd be doing that, wouldn't mm. they? They'd be actually turning over the litter yep. and uh, pooing into it, and yeah. so that's improving the soil as yeah. they go. And that, you can also train them. Yeah. You know, Every time you feed them, you call them. And so, so that when you go out, if you want to lock them up, mm. you just call them and they come flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to remember oh, yeah. too that, like yeah. a lot of this, especially in Australia, we used to have a lot of ground dwelling species that would actually turn the mm, soil. We yeah. had bandicoot, had a wide range of yeah. marsupials that did that, as well as if you are in denons, we got lyrebirds. Yeah. But if you've lost that, you know, chickens are really good to actually do that. So you do want that that yeah that rotation but obviously not to the point where you're letting them stay there 24 7 where it becomes just the dust bowl yeah. which i've seen yeah. that happen no, before yeah. Yeah. Destruction. Yeah. Yeah. destruction it's all a balance isn't it it's always it's about balance. all a balance <laughs> no, yeah. leaving them out all day is a yeah. disaster it's a disaster mm. yeah yeah, no. yeah. Yeah. No, they get bored. They get bored. And they, <laughs> they get destructive. And then one of them, she gets an attitude and she flies to the top of the six foot hedge, goes to the neighbor. So, They've yeah. got attitude. Uh, I had Dora, <laughs> Dora the Explorer, and Dora would go and hide, yeah. and she would not come, even if you had the food, even oh. if you shook the can. She would not come. Just stubborn. Oh, Dora the Explorer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I did. A, I did have a gardening question, um, <laughs> even though we got onto chicken chicken <laughs> chat. But they, uh, I, I need to move three of my um, dwarf pines. They're only about a half meter to a meter tall. They're about six, seven years old. Do you think I should um, move? I'm going to move them in the in the fall and the winter. Do you think I should pot them up and then put them somewhere else? They just don't have a lot of root system. I'm worried if I just kind of move them, they're not going to be very strong. Which pines? Which pine is it? Do you know? Most of these are the mugos. Okay, because because I move my conifers all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you should plant. Sometimes I think I should plant them with a trolley underneath them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just envisaging uh, what that might look like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I did think about bonsaiing it or doing something to it because it's not a very big garden but i've wedged in there's 12 12 new guys oh, wow. wow and you're, you're coming yeah. into winter now yeah. aren't you are you in you're in the yeah. last part of autumn yeah it's Edging coming getting cold yeah i don't know your climate here here i'd move them in the early autumn where yeah, the roots are still right. moving and the soil's a bit warm but I don't know. I mean, they, they may be different for you because you get much colder in the winter. We're not. We're not going to be. We're, we're usually right on the edge. We're probably not going to get snow, and we only get a few hard frosts in later spring. Yeah. So Where in the if UK I try to shift now? The, I'm in the East Midland. Right. So I'm. So yeah. she doesn't have I'm the Gulf Stream keeping her warm. So she yeah. would be getting cooler. Maybe yeah. maybe it would be better to wait until after winter. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking just mm. with okay. off the top of okay. my head. But but you know what the the, the bonsai guys are, are rampaging all over Europe, digging mugos out of the Alps. Mm. So okay. I would have thought they'd move. Well, that was my other. Well, that was my that was my only other problem is that 
you know, I only get one chance usually to move it because I can't take a cutting. I have no idea if they even make a pine cone. They're not very old, so I didn't. I didn't even know how they propagate these things. I hope they're not stolen. <laughs> yeah, I'll, probably <laughs> grafted. But, uh, if they're dwarf forms, they'd be grafted. I wonder if you have a local bonsai society. Oh. Um, because that they yeah. might be able to help you. They're the p- sort of people mm. who do a lot of work with pines, and particularly mugo pines. Yeah. But if there's a local bonsai society, they they would probably have good advice for you. We're, we're mm. a little bit remote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mugos are really slow growing, so five years is not a very long time. No, I, I just oh, take if you, no, if you have the sort of soil that you can get a big lump out with them, they'll be fine. I have I have no doubt. Yeah, I know. You can call yeah, Conifer Gardens Nursery. Garden, so. They sell yeah. goes. Yeah. Well, the nurse that I, that I got them from, the nursery that I got them from, is they, they went out of business. <laughs> so now it's kind of a, you know, it sells garden furniture, <laughs> not, not actual plants. So. Yeah. But uh, that's a good idea. I'll get a hold of the bonsai people and see. Just double check. Bonsai, mm. so, oh, I'm sure there's, and, like, and there's they, a pine and conifer society. Hmm. Over there too. I don't yeah. know the specific names, but that'd be the Bonsai Society or Pine Conover Society. People I'd be trying to track down. It would just be a matter of getting the season right yeah. because that's critical. Yep. But other, than, other if you got the yeah. season right, they'll move easily. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe spring because then, then like you said, you've got longer time. Yeah. To give it a chance. Mm. Yeah. You see, we do it in autumn because that gives us the longest possible time before the weather dries up. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think but, I but we don't get I think it's quite as cold, cold as she might. No, that's right. Cold and wet. Yeah. Yeah. Cold and wet. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah, yeah. cold and wet's not good. Yeah. Mm. yeah. We want good drainage. No, yeah. mm. no they, they, they don't mind. Once they're established, they do fine. I mean, yeah. they're very, they, they make it through all of our droughts and our 42 degree days. They didn't care. Yeah, I have lots of mugos in my rock garden. Very familiar with them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're great. Yeah. I really like them. All right. Well, you guys have a good rest of the show. Thanks, Thank Alan. You. And let us know how you go with them. We'd All be right. interested to hear. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to take a picture. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah please do. That'd be great. Talk to you soon, Alan. Bye. Bye. Okay, thanks. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. It's so special when Alan calls. I just it's I love fabulous. it. It's so it's so great. It's obviously very late there at night and she <laughs> yes. listens to She's us live listening. every week. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Michelle Tell us about your involvement with the Friends of Burnley Gardens. Well, I I have been, um, I was one of the founding members in 1997 and at that stage I was still working at the university um, so I I kept working until 2005. Um, And so my more active period was post-2005, although, you know, I, I did a number of things with the group. Started up a group called the Friendly Guides. Mm. So we um, we lead guided tours of the gardens and and they're very well populated lots of people come Um, there's a small charge for that Um, so I I have been on the committee I have been president um, on a number of occasions vice president on others acting (laughs) president on others you know how it is with voluntary groups Um, and but when I was involved with writing the book I I really couldn't manage all of that and plus I'd moved to Gippsland so being there for meetings and organizing speakers and you know doing all of that sort of thing but I did that did also reinvigorate some of the open days we they Burnley used to have open days in in the way past 
and uh, I reinvigorated those and we had joint activities with the University of Melbourne until the uni decided that they couldn't uh, allocate the money or the time to it. Mm. So um, so that went into the recycle basket. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I've been, I've been involved for a long time, mm. since 1997. That's... Oh. that's Decent amount of time. Decent amount yeah, of time. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good um pretty good involvement. Now how do the friends of Burnley Garden support Burnley these days? Well, um we we raise money. Yeah. Uh, basically we run we do the 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 usual things. We have lectures and we have workshops and we have um uh, open days and we have the guide the guides giving tours and and we have a propagation group and a botanical art group. Mm. Um so we we try to encourage Things associated with plants yeah. uh, for the gardens. Uh, sometimes, you know, there'll there'll be a lecture on design. On another occasion, might be lecture on trees. Um, it, it's not always Burnley centric. It's mm. it's greater than Burnley. Um, what else do we do? We we raise money and we we do projects to support projects in the gardens. Correct. Yeah. So uh, much, some of the time the projects are things that we fund ourselves. Mm. Other times there are, um, is a, an association with the university and they often match us dollar for dollar. So for example, when we restored the sh- summer shelter, the summer summer house, uh, we raised a in the vicinity of $23,000 and the university came to the party. Um, When we restored the lily ponds, it was the same thing. Um, We've restored the wisteria arbour, which was an old old timber pine one. It was crumbling and that's uh, been renewed. That was done, that was designed and installed by Andrew Smith, who's the former gardens manager. So it, it just depends what the project is as to whether we we try to get seeding. We, we raise the seeding money mm. and so, on some occasions the university also yeah. um, supplements it. Yeah. Mm. Now, there's a chapter in the book and this is a question that, you know, you're talking to plant people and, yeah. I mean, it's like asking someone what your fifth favourite dinosaur, asking a child what their fifth favourite <laughs> dinosaur is, what's your favourite tree? Uh, it's a very hard question for plant people narrowing it down. Mm. But when someone does ask me that, my one of my answers is the one of the agathus robustas the one Mm -hmm. at burnley gardens Mm -hmm. down near the i think it's the old arb Arb classrooms Mm, which is now i can't get my arms around half the circumference it is that massive and that is one of my favorite trees (laughs) it is one of my favorite trees but you've got a beautiful section in the book of a tree walk and you've discussed some of the feature trees (laughs) in the gardens yes there are because there are some amazing specimens. Have you, have either of you been to Burnley Garden? Yeah, I'm very familiar with the yeah. agathus. Yeah. yeah, it's a fantastic specimen. Absolutely, isn't it? yeah, well, it's a, a baby. Cu- there's, a yeah. cu- there's a couple <laughs> yeah. of them. There's actually um, two there that are mm. really quite big, yeah. and they were almost certainly planted in the spring of 1861. Okay, oh, wow. we don't know for yeah. sure, but that section of the garden was planted during that period of time. Yeah. So yes, it is one of my favourites. When I take a garden walk with with folk. I, and there's a few, I get them to join hands and go round <laughs> yeah. that tree. Yeah. So there is actually a photograph of, of uh, a number of people trying to do the circumference yeah. of the tree, just like you. Yeah, there's a photo you of can't do it as well. <laughs> you can't do it with just one. But no. the other lovely thing is the fragrance in the bark of yeah. the Agatha Cerebuster, mm. the cowrie pine, mm. it smells like furniture polish. So if you mm. just put your hand on the bark and 
do that circular motion, you'll get a little bit of the resin on your fingers. Oh, how lovely. And then mm. you inhale, and it's stunning. It's sort of like oh. grandma's Well, it was used for, for furniture polish. Yeah. In, in mm. the far north of New Zealand, there was an industry okay. in the early days of settlement where they'd go into the swamps and dig up huge pieces of the resin yes. to use it for mm. furniture. furniture polish. Yeah, and it also burns. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And the other thing I like about the Agathis robusta, we're talking cowrie pine, um, is that uh, it, it produces these amazing cones that mm. look like avocados. They're just, they're huge and they and they drop. And then when they uh, dry, they open and disperse. So they end up being fragmented. Mm. But when they're young and green, they look just like an avocado. <laughs> yeah. right. I haven't seen their cones before. Yeah. yeah. And beautiful mottled bark. A beautiful mottled yeah. bark. And mm. particularly after rain, mm. when the oranges, or shall we say tangerines, mm. um, or apricots, let's call it that, um, when they're highlighted against the grey, mm. so you have the highlight of the, the, the grey and the, and the orange mm-hmm. and the bark mm. smells. Mm. In fact, that's my favourite part of the gardens through there. It's that was my really favourite special section. There's a yes. couple of old ficus through there too. Big old yeah. ficus, a little bit further around. Yeah. Yes, macrophylla. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. So, stunning. so the book is set up as two garden walks. So you you start at the summer house, and with book in hand, mm. or if you can't walk, or you don't, you're not there. You can still read read it, mm. but with book in hand, you then follow a path that takes you to the various items on discussion. So some of them might be um, things that are no longer there. Um, for example, the old pavilion, which was there un- uh, until until the 19 or 1949, but is not there anymore. But I found lovely old photographs of it. Mm. And, um, and continuing on, you might come across the Emily Gibson beds that were designed by uh, a former lecturer at Burnley, Burnley way back in the 1930s. And then you might continue on and find the uh, a palm, Beauty of Capitata, that's been there since the early days. So there'll be a little bit of discussion about mm. that. And then the Acacia maidenii, which is one of the few acacias that are really very long-lived. Mm. And uh, a little bit of discussion about that. And then you continue on and there's the succulent garden. Well, that's a new, that's a modern design. And, um, and so it, it tells you about why it was put there, why the colour choice, why the choice of um, species, for example. And so it gives you, a, you know, there's lots of different aspects. There's the history, there's the plants, mm. there's the designs and the designers. Yeah, so really good if anyone is interested in design, but also any, any horticultural design students that are out there as well. Um, Michelle, tell us how people can find and buy the book. Yes, well, look, first of all, the address of Burnley Gardens is 500 Yarra Boulevard, Burnley. So that's a that's a good start. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how you find the guns. Yes. The second is that we we only have only just received um, delivery yeah. of the book this this week. So you're the first interview through CR holding a special copyright. Here. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Um, and so we, we don't have our payment system up and running yet, but if people are interested in purchasing a copy, I suggest that you email the, the Friends of Burnley Gardens, and that's friends.burnley, all lowercase, but friends.burnley at gmail.com. And that, just register your and interest. And register your interest. Yep. That would be the best. Right. Or you can email me, and I'm Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, at adland, A-D-L, 
A-N-D dot com dot A-U. Yeah. So you can you can do it either way and mm. I'll pass your, your details on. Now, just a little sweetener for the people who are members of the Friends of Burnley Gardens. The recommended retail price of this book is $50. And if you're a member of the Friends of Burnley Gardens, you can get a copy for $35. Mm. Absolute that's, that's a significant discount. That is actually. Significant yeah. <laughs> to reward the people who have supported us yeah. all those years. Yeah. Mm. So um, that's really important. Um, that you can you can manage to get a copy cheap. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful, thanks, Michelle. Um, but you have to be a member. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and you can be a member by going to the website um, www.fobg.org.au. Beautiful, yeah. thanks, Michelle. Uh, listeners, you are tuned in to the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and in the studio today I have Craig Wilson, Emmeline Bowman, and Michelle Adler. If you want to join our chat and, and ask any question, preferably garden-related, I'm not sure about our advice for any other topics. Uh, the number is <laughs> the number is nine four one nine zero one double five, and our text uh, text message number is zero four double eight eight zero nine eight five five. If you want to email the show, we can't take images via the text line. You can email photos to us. Our, our address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. We are here till quarter past nine and we haven't even started talking about plants mm. yet. Emmeline, oh. you brought in some. I did. Let's get stuck in. Okay. Well, well. No, I'm all in, always into my natives. Em, I'm sorry, I'm... I have to interrupt you. I've just oh. realised we have a caller on oh, the no, line. Oh, no, go, go. Um, Victor in Vermont, you've been waiting very patiently. I do apologise, Victor. Are you still there? I am. Oh, am I online? You're on, you're on air, Victor. How are you going? Oh, okay. All right. I just want to say a big hello to Craig. Yeah. Hi, hey, Victor. Uh, Hello, Craig. We're bonsai um, aficionados. Oh, I've got you now. <laughs> That's a long way, yeah. yeah. Um, Craig, I, I just thought the, the, your listeners might like to hear that, that we've, we've got our um, bonsai, bonsai Society Victoria, the bonsai show, next weekend, Saturday and Sunday at Box Hill Town Hall. Okay. And... And I'm taught, and I'm going to actually have that little bonsai, that banks here that we've been working on, on display. Good. So, um, so it's ready for its first public unveiling. <laughs> its first outing. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't compare with the quality of yours, but uh, it, it is my work, and, and I love it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But but the the bonsai show, we've got a fantastic display of about a hundred trees, and we have plants for sale, bonsai for sale. We've got ongoing demonstrations, um, all sorts of things that are happening next weekend at Box Hill Town Hall. So um, I, I know we won't be able to see you there, Craig, because you've got work to do and a nursery to run, but um, um, I, I know the, all the listeners will be very, very welcomed. Um, yeah, Fantastic. I, yeah. Well, all right. BSV is the oldest club in Victoria, is and it? they have a long history of bringing Japanese masters out Mm. So there's some really high quality work within that club. Fantastic. Um, yeah. What time is the show open? Um, look, on Saturday it's nine till four, and mm. on Sunday it's um, ten till four. We're mm-hmm. all having a little sleep in on Sunday, but yep. uh, um, but uh, we've, as, as Craig said, it, it, ours is the oldest club in Victoria, and it was established um, by a, a very very 
um, knowledgeable group of people that, that really uh, set the foundations for our club and uh, we've got a, a very large membership as a consequence. So um, beautiful trees, old trees, lovely trees, um, mm. a huge variety. So um, it's worth coming to. Yeah, thanks for letting us know about that, Victor. Pleasure. And um, have yeah. a good Maybe weekend. Maybe before Victor goes, because we had the caller calling in from England about when to repot the, mu- the mugo pine. Well, she was moving them from the she ground. Was- Oh, she was moving um, them from the ground. What what advice would you have given her? I usually is it a pine tree? A mugo. It was a mugo. A mugo. I usually do um, pines or, or or evergreens in spring. Is mm. probably a, a, an all round saying. And now is the time I'm I'm I'm, I'm repotting my pines, um, whether it's a mugo or a black pine. So. Um, and I think Craig would probably agree with that too. So. Yeah, I'd probably leave it a little bit later, but that's a climatic thing. Yeah, yeah well, you're up in the mountains. That's mate. right. Yeah. Yeah. So down, if, down here, the um, the sap is moving. Yeah. <laughs> so is that Ellen? Is it Ellen? Ellen. Ellen, who's um, who's still listening from England. Um, I think we may may have given her the right advice in the end. Yeah. <laughs> leave it till spring. From England. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll need to leave it for about six months. I yeah, think, so. another six months. Yeah. Yep. All right. Thank you for Thanks, that. Thanks, Victor. Thank All the best. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, Em, let's get to some of your plants. Oh. <laughs> um, like I said, I'm into my natives, so I have a few different ones here. I found a different type of vine that I haven't used before, um, Tecamanthi, mm. Roaring Meg. Has anyone used this before? No. Big, strong vine. Yeah, it's a very strong vine. I haven't oh. used it. I've been looking at pictures, got a beautiful bell-shaped pinky red flower. When you actually feel the leaves, they're very thick. If I pass it around, they're very sort of succulenty thick when they're more quite mature. Le- like quite leathery. They're very leathery. But, you know, I use like Bilidaria, um, different types of um, pandareas and things like that. So this is a new one that I... Have got him up. Be frost tolerant. I think it, it would be as if for it be. the thick leaf exactly. Mm. So I'm going to give this one a go, but I thought I would bring it in just to sort of give some people an alternative vine species if they are looking at something. It looks like it would be very vigorous. Mm. So it says like, on the label it's fast growing. Yes. So yeah. you'd have to be onto it because a lot of yeah. these vine species they do tend to grow very quickly and a bit out of control so you do have to put a bit of maintenance into you know keeping it yeah. looking nice um but um that's like with any garden you need to put in a bit of maintenance i'm always a bit frightened of vines <laughs> they can, they can they be can a hell of a lot things. of work they can cover things they can be yeah. rapidly covered. yeah, yeah. but mm. um if you need to cover something then this could that's be a good yeah. thing that's yeah. what yeah. could do. be a fence could end mm. up being the fence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, holding the fence up. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and usually I get this from Indigenous nurseries, but it seems to be available now. It's Chrysis cephalum bacteriae. It's actually an endangered da- daisy, like mm. a paper mm. daisy. Very vigorous as well, a lovely little plant. I grew. I actually bought these probably about three weeks ago and they were so much smaller, but you can mm. already like you guys can see the growth. It's already got flower heads on it. 
but um, a really lovely little daisy that you can pop in the garden. And I'm pretty excited that it's starting to become available just in norm- normal nurseries. And, and the lovely sell? combination of the greyish leaves with the very almost white underside. Exactly. That's really beautiful. And it tricks you because, yeah, the flower itself is white. But when it's coming up into bud, it's got a little, it's kind of like a yellow cap, it looks like, and it comes up. Will it self-seed? It does self-seed. Um, yeah. So I would definitely be into putting that in the garden. And um, it gives you that beautiful white flush, you know. And I'm always looking for that. You know, sometimes you look for these flowers and you get it in exotics, but it's really nice when you can put it, put a native one instead. A bit, a bit of a ground cover, Emily. It is a ground cover. Yeah. And you can see how dense it is just in the foliage here, so mm. it just keeps sprouting. And you could chop it back and make it denser. That's exactly and it. And propagate it. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of us are used to the um, Chrysocephalum apiculatum, yes. the golden buttons. Mm-hmm. And this looks totally different yeah. from from the apiculatum species. Yeah. It's got more of a true daisy flower. Yeah. Uh, sort of in that fried egg. It looks like Look, a little fried egg. Yeah. But that's a lovely colour combination it to is. have in the garden. Yeah, and with the silver underneath the leaves is really nice. Yeah, kind of reminds you of rosemary in mm. a way. Mm. It actually does, it does look a lot like rosemary. It looks like rosemary with little egg flowers. Now how good yeah. would that be, using a rosemary and maybe that as a ground cover exactly. below it? Mm. You get the similar exactly. feel and look. And mm. it's an endangered species. Mm. Yeah. So, you know. And it's where, pretty where easy to grow in the garden. Your, no, well, I actually this this was sourced from NPW, um, but NPW this, being oh sorry, um, Native Plant Wholesalers. Yes, um, but I also ordered this through Plant Multi, which they can order that in. So yeah. for most landscapers, or even if you're in Plant Mark, or you know if you want to order it in to your nursery, that your retail nursery they will be able to get this in mm. native plant wholesalers stock to a whole heap of retail nurseries yes. so you should if you are interested in chrysocephalum baxteri mm. you can it's pretty easy to source yeah these days. that's more what i'm getting at like it's good that it's coming out yeah and you can buy it yeah um another two that i bought from a nursery which means that you can buy it as a retail so again i like to get plants that you can use as alternative rather than using exotic so we've got some irises, so um, diplorenia. I can never say these botanical names as well. Do you want to just well. spell it in case Dip- people Diplorina. are... Diplorina, D-I-P-L-A-R-R-E-N-A. Now it's called a butterfly flag and it's a very, very hardy plant. I've been using it in the wetlands a little bit. Um, it's got the normal iris-looking flower. It's a little bit smaller, a white iris flower. Nice upright foliage. Um, it gets to about a metre. Mm. But instead of like, you know, using exotic irises or something mm. like that, you can incorporate this into the garden. Or the weedy dietes. It's, mm. it's a great substitute it to dietes. Really, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and I also have another one which is also a great substitute to dietes is um, Thelionema seispitosum alba. So it's a lily white. So it's a little lily flower. And this one produces an array of little white lily-type flowers, a bit like an orchid in a way. They're really good in wetter spots too. Very good in wet you spots. You usually see Thelionema on the sides of ponds and Yep, and creeks. it's usually purpley Yeah, colored. it is. So this is a white version. Beautiful. Mm. And yep. it's a very clean-looking plant too. Very clean. You've got nice, strappy, clean foliage. A lot of people like this. So 
Again, it's a great substitute mm. if you just wanted to bring in something native because... Yeah, you could say look, looking something like a liriope. It looks like... A little bit like. Exactly. So if, instead of using liriope, you could use use this. Exactly. Thelionema seas petosum alba. Yeah. Mm. So they don't get that thatch of dead legs underneath them. No, you can always clean it out a little bit, but no, yeah. they tend That's to stay really pretty good. clean. Yeah. I always like to give my grasses and things a bit of a clean though, but no, that one's a really great one. And then I just brought this in because I was starting to get some flour, but um, Eutaxia obifolia. I was going to have a little bit of a chat today about how, like, we are coming into spring and just thinking about our wildlife and how activity is starting to really blossom. So, like, having a diverse range of plant species that allow food source for frugivores, which are fruit-eating animals, um, granivores, which are seed-eating animals, um, nectivores, yep. nectar-eating animals. And I say granivores, yeah? Carnivores, yeah. you said granivores. Granivores. Carnivores. What am I miss? Carnivores. 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 It's another one. <laughs> there you go, carnivores or omnivorous. <laughs> Just forget that. But we're <laughs> fruit, seed, nectar, meat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, insectivores was e, what I was going to say. I was thinking not, of the animal lines. Yeah, yeah, it's not meat. It's uh, yeah. insectivorous animals. Just, just going to say to, to the listeners who are not, people obviously not here and can't see, Emmeline, as she's been describing these plants, she touches them and fondles them <laughs> and, and yeah. caresses them. Yeah. She loves them. I love my plants. It's really, really <laughs> lovely to see. It is. But, it uh, is. yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I thought I would touch on the just to make sure that we do have a diversity of plant species to allow for those animal species to feed. But anyway. Yes, and since we were talking earlier about compost and, and adding mulch and that sort of thing to try to encourage the soil flora mm. um, and fauna, mm -hmm. then, you know, here's another opportunity for encouraging uh, all those other vores. Mm. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Insectifructa yeah. and, uh, and so on. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Em, thank you very much. Pleasure. We've got a couple of callers to get through, and I must say good morning to Jill from East Malvern. Hello. I'm about to plant, I'm about to plant my here. Can you hear us, Jill? Yes, I can Hello. now. I'm about to plant some native, uh, pretty natives, you know, pink flower natives facing east. And I've had Manchurian pear leaves in a couple of buckets uh, with water, and they're really mushy. And I thought, well, I'll put a bit of that into the soil. What do you think? I've got sandy soil at East Malvern. Mm. Anything organic yeah. helps. Mm. Yes, and look, you've mm. you've obviously collected them in um, in autumn when they fell, and they've That's been right. sitting in the bucket now, so they've decomposed so a little bit. Um, just in the wall. yeah, just just try to um, scatter them a little bit, and yeah, rather than dump them all in one spot. Mm. And, and then I thought, well, uh, the braid. I don't need to water it so well, but right next to the wall, it's very dry, and I thought, well, I'll I'll pour the water from buckets, you know, right along there first. And uh, anyway, I think it's going to look pretty. Mm. Was it against, it's against a red brick wall with um, a khaki trim, you know, on the windows and so on. So mm. I'm hoping it's uh, pink and, uh, and, and uh, prettiness. You know, I've got kangaroo paw and Gerald from Wax 
flower. And oh, it's lovely. Mm. Yep. Oh, that's no, good choices for sandy soil too. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy soil is very, uh, very difficult. Um, mm. It's so well drained that it that's can right. also often be very dry. Mm. Yeah. And you have to keep adding mulch forever. Con- constantly, constantly and always. For the yeah. term of your yeah. natural life. That's right. yeah. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got three that have got whitish leaves, you know, so the, and I've got a, sil- a small silver um, old a silver salt bush, right. and uh, I'm putting those next to the wall where it gets no rain. Oh, good choice. I'll, yeah, the, the ones that like a bit more water, a bit further out. So yeah, mm. well, you're on the right, right track, Jill. You're doing the right thing. Yep. So good on you. Thank you. Thanks for calling. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Right, bye. All right, guys, a couple of text messages come through. Uh, Michelle, a question for you. Uh, listeners asked if the old Erythrina bidwillii is in the gardens. Um, she would, or they would, love to get hold of the plant at the plant sales but hasn't mm. been able to. Well, look, one thing you could do is uh, email the friends mm. and email at friends.burnley at gmail.com and ask them if they would propagate it for you. Because if that's something that you would particularly like, it's an unusual plant, Erythrina bidwillii. It's an unusual plant. It does look stunning. It's um, situated down near the orchard gates uh, at Burnley. But I would be, uh, yeah, just ask the propagation group to propagate it for you, mm. and they, I'm sure they will. So, yeah, just drop them an email, friends.burnley. At gmail.com. Thank you very much. Uh, Listener Paul has requested that your book be, a copy be sent to the Richmond and Yarra Library. Absolutely. So he can borrow a copy. (laughs) Absolutely. We we intend to be sending the local libraries. Um, And and it will happen not too long from now. As I say, we've only just received delivery. And I'm going away in two weeks' time. So today's opportunity to talk about it was really important because I'm not going to be around. I'm going to be in Antarctica. Oh, well, let's get to that in a second. We've got a couple of other things to get through. Um, A listener, Kim, has messaged in saying Paul Tesla was on the ABC yesterday and they've sold out for the festival, but other – but. For today, it must be, but for other days, it's best to book online. So that's for the Tesla's Children's Festival. Goodness me, that's yeah, that's mm. incredible. That is that's incredible. <clears throat> I think it's been one of the biggest festivals yeah. they've ever they've wow. ever had. So um, that's really that's Very really exciting. Fantastic. I must remind listeners that you are tuned into the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and I have Craig Wilson, Emmeline Bowman, and Michelle Adler in the studio with me this morning. I've mentioned a few committee announcements for other places, other garden-related places this morning, and um, the 3CR Gardening Show has its own announcement. Um, We are looking for new producers. So for the show to run smoothly and for me to be able to sleep at night before a show, we rely very heavily upon our producers in the studio next door to us uh, they're the ones that take the phone calls and make sure that you guys get put through to air and they keep us organised, sending notes um, and, and helping, just helping things run smoothly. They're absolutely integral to the show. Um, we are after new producers. So if, it, if you think that it's something that you might be able um, to commit to, usually all of our producers come into the studio once a month um, and there's about 
uh, about about six of them on the roster, but we need some more. Um, please, if you're interested, send us an email. Um, our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au um, and hopefully um, we will we promise to train you and not throw you in the deep end. Um, but we love uh, some of our listeners that might want to get involved in the show um, to come in and help us uh, be, be our producer. Um, email gardening at 3cr.org.au if you think you would like to be involved or, or ask us some questions about it. We've got some plants to talk about and we've got Antarctica to talk about. Let's get to some plants first, guys. Craig, what are some of the treats you brought in today? Let's start off with these. These are the latest release ARS secateurs, which I love. Um, And the reason I love them is that they have this catch that you just squeeze the handle and they open. Um, and look, it takes a little bit to get used to. Yeah, you got to get your thumb under control because you know you're constantly wanting to do that. Mm. Yeah, but they're good. Okay. You know, I've been using ARS for a number of years now. And, yeah, definitely my preferred brand. I mm. haven't used ARS Secchi's before, but there are other tools that like you can't go wrong with. That's right. Yeah, reasonably priced for yeah. a, for a Japanese tool. Oh, they're uh, Japanese. They're Japanese. Oh. Yeah. What sort of price point are they? Do you think retail? Uh, yeah, I think mm. these were around sixty. Okay, oh, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, and then I always buy a packet of springs when I buy them as well. Yeah. Do they <laughs> bounce out and you lose them in the garden? It doesn't matter what the brand is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I have a um uh, a belt with a pouch on it. Yeah. And um, I've had a pair of Philcos for must be twenty five years, and they always go in the pouch. They are ab- mm. It's absolutely fabulous because you yeah. don't lose them. Yeah, yeah. the pouches, the pouches that's what, mm, as soon as you really walk out the front door, it goes on. on. Yeah. And in fact, even when you walk into the supermarket, they're on it. <laughs> I was shopping the other night, had had the pouch on with the second <laughs> in, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a lethal weapon. <laughs> that's right. I've done that. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry. All right. Keep going. So this, I bought in... The Kermadec Islands form of the Kawakawa. What is it? So Kawakawa is Piper excelsum, mm-hmm. and it was a really important medicinal species for the Maori. Um, you can chew the leaves, you can make tea with them, you can make poultices with them, or you can make inhalations. Yeah. How are they medicinal? What does it do? Yeah. Yeah, what does it do for Antibacterial. You? Okay. Mm. Okay. Now, so if you've got a tooth, so it's right. giving you trouble. Herbaceous plant, a small one, shrub, a shrub, shrub, okay. and it's, it's tough. And I think they grow indoors mm-hmm. because you you see them in the forests in Northland, growing in the understory. Mm. Oh my goodness, we're all not going to be able to speak in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It's family Araceae, and they do have. Um, um, toxins in them. Yep, that's right. That occur that occur nice. in things yeah. like the arum lily. Yeah. Another plant that's called death by caused death by plant. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to know what the concentration of uh, their, their uh, uh, oxalates. Mm-hmm. Are. Mm. You can certainly feel it when you when you yeah. bite into it. Oh yeah, it's peppery. Yeah. But also mm. a little bit of floral peppery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's lovely. It's it, it's become quite Breakfast a thing time. in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Kawakawa. That, that's to keep the New Zealanders quiet. <laughs> it's, it, yes, it's, you see it advertised everywhere over there as a product. But the the, the Kermadec Islands form is different from the New Zealand form in that the leaves are really pleated mm. as opposed to okay. just a mat. And also, 
in my garden, it's been more vigorous, which I find really interesting because the Kermadecs are quite a way north of New Zealand, so a bit warmer. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. It's, yeah. it's a, rather a beautiful leaf. It's very mm. architectural in its own right. Handsome plant. Mm. Yeah. Are and, they, and shade. And are they spent flowers or flowers? No, that's the flowers. Flower? They're the flowers. Yeah, it's, it's just a little now. green spike. That's mm. right. So if you think of what the inside of an arum lily looks like, that's exactly what they look like, but yeah. green. Excellent description, Michelle. And, and, and their habit of growing in understory and dense evergreen forests okay. would tend to suggest that they'd be a good indoor plant. Good mm. indoor plant, but maybe yeah. also good in fernery. Fernery, but shade. Dry, Obviously dry shade, shade. But dry shade. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And a lush green leaf in dry shade. Yeah. yeah. So how do you spell those? Again? Piper. So that's P I P E R. Piper excelsum. E X C E L U M. Yes, and this is the Kermadec Islands form, but the, the, I have the New Zealand form as well. Now, how uh, does it differ? Uh, the New Zealand form doesn't have the pleated leaves. Okay. They're, they're just matte and, yeah. and a bit more olive okay. in colour. So that's quite a feature of that plant, isn't it? A little bit glossy, the leaf and lovely that's pl- right. pleats on it. And it's looking a bit rough at this time of the year because it's winter. Mm. Yeah, the, mm. the new set of leaves will be nice. Mm. How, how big do they get? What was the dimensions? They are, look, I would say a small tree. Yeah. But um, the ARS. Oh, <laughs> you keep it down. Yeah, easy. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, they prune nicely. Okay. So you can prune them pretty hard. Yep, absolutely yeah. you can. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. In New Zealand, there is a, a moth whose larvae feeds on them, so the leaves are always pocked with holes, mm. right. and the leaves with holes in them are the ones that are supposed to have the best medicinal value. Right. Yeah. Huh. Oh, plants are smart. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's because the owners decided that they'd kick off the leaves with the holes and um, then you have a better show with yeah. the rest of the leaves. Yeah. So therefore, I'm, I'm thinking laterally, the ones with the most medicinal value, pick them off yeah. and the plant looks better. But you yeah. might want to take some to Antarctica with you because apparently <laughs> they're really good for the treatment of seal bites. Oh, really? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That is so specific that about seals. Not, I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> What's the risk fantastic. of getting seal bites in Antarctica, Michelle? Well, I suppose there's always a risk. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, like, well, we've taken people to Galapagos for many, many years. Mm. You you keep your distance from mm-hmm. the animals. You don't, mm. don't upset them. You stay away. Unless you swim on top of one. Unless, well, Well, yes. I was going boop, onto a guana. And then sat on the beach, and a turtle sat next to me. <laughs> Where did this happen? Oh, Galapagos. Galapagos. No They're just everywhere. And then you go to the playground, and the seals are in the playground. Sea lions. Sea lions, sorry. Yeah. And then they play with you in the water. They do. They blow <laughs> bubbles in your face. Yes. They're oh amazing. God. Stunning place. How many trips have you done to the well, Galapagos? About 20. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we started going to Galapagos in 1995, and then our first tour with taking other folk was 20. Wow. Uh, 2000, rather, mm. 2000. And except for uh, COVID when we didn't go anywhere. But we have another trip going in 2023, so next year mm. in October, November. Do you, and ev- do you ever visit the treehouse? The treehouse. There's a treehouse in Cusco, but... Uh, no, on Galapagos. No, I haven't visited the treehouse. It's tree even house. got a flushing toilet in the roots. Ooh, <laughs> no, I haven't visited. I have to find out <laughs> where that is You have to go there. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> 
I have worked in Galapagos for the Charles Darwin Research Station, so on a number of occasions my husband and I have worked there as visiting scientists, mm. and that, that has been a very interesting mm. time as well. And we've also spent some time on St Cristobal Island mm. where, up in the highlands where there's, in fact, a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and lo- lovely swimming pools, which you don't see on the on the David Attenborough movies because no, they it's only takes you on incredibly the coast. diverse Galapagos, like the, all the islands, fabulous. and they're completely different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they are, and you go into like these lava pits. I can't remember what island that was, and then it's just lava fields, right? And then. There's these cavities, and yeah. they're full of maidenhair ferns. Ferns and things, yes. Maybe yeah. that was Isabella. Could that be. might have been Isabella. Isabella. Yeah. There's some lovely ca- caves yeah. made out of them. Because when, when, you, when you hear about the Galapagos, all, all you hear about is the fauna. Mm. Yes. And it, it, give me some flora, please. Oh, wow. <laughs> and there's plenty yeah. of flora. There's, I have no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. 50 species. Actually, um, I... My husband and I designed a garden and installed a garden for the research station director, yeah. and we had to use all local native species. Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of the brief, mm. and uh, we we managed to find huh, managed to find some cactus that had been uh, laid aside for a road. So we we went out and we collected these cactus. They are enormously heavy. Mm. They are cactus trees. Full of water. Mm. Full of full of water and, and wood. Mm-hmm. And they're actually very heavy. So we collected mm. these cactus from the side of the road and transported them to the to the garden and installed them in the lava rock with a crowbar <laughs> because there's no soil. <laughs> so fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. Then yeah. and they they're still there. We we lost only one. We we made a cactus forest. But there's also lovely a lovely other another lovely plant called Cordia lutea. Mm-hmm. It's golden cordia um, with beautiful yellow flowers that the tortoises and the finches like to eat mm-hmm. yes. and following that they get a little berry a little mm. white succulent berry also good for the finches so you know with it, without the without the plants you don't have the fauna of course mm-hmm. you you yeah. simply don't you said there's 850 species is yeah. that endemic to the galapagos yes yeah. but That's but these lot. days unfortunately there are a lot of new arrivals weed species it's not good uh, yeah and yeah. they have a mm. big issue with the goats Mm. So the Why goats, haven't they got rid of them? They, well, they have to mm. some extent. Some extent, and then, yeah. but they brought in the wild dogs to keep the do- the goat population down. But then the dogs, when they bring the pups on to train them, the pups go off, and then you get wild dogs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> There's man. a bit of a, a funny, but because the turtles have gone, the turtles would keep down the plants as well. They can't actually eliminate all the goats, so to speak, just yet, because they need the goats to maintain some of the plants. Because the turtles have gone. Right. Yes. The, the tortoises are what, what you'd think of as um, local bulldozers mm. because they, they are the they vegetation guzzle. eaters. They're the principal grazers. <laughs> yeah. Principal grazers. They're the yeah. little cows. <laughs> and on, Total the, cows. Uh, on the islands where goats were um, released, um, they have done quite a good job. There was a $5 million uh, project called the Isabella Project where mm. they got rid of most of the goats. Yep. But but surprisingly, people in the settlements are still allowed to keep cats and dogs and goats. It's and, surprising, isn't it? And like say, I was well, a bit... why, do, why, do they, why do they let them do it? But then why do we let ourselves yeah. do it? Yeah. Is this Chile, is it? This, no, Ecuador. Ecuador, Ecuador okay. Because yeah. 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 we have endangered species we have endemic flora and Mm -hmm. yet we allow cats and Mm. dogs and goats and donkeys it's much the same but i was very surprised i was a little bit disappointed some aspects too because like oh no like i wasn't disappointed i I was like me as an animal lover went there for that and i was like wow 
but I think I was more um, bit disappointed by there was a lot of um, rubbish when I went there. Oh, really? Yeah. So what happened was there was like I always remember like going to the main and then main island and then this gentleman was just throwing his rubbish. But what was really beautiful was because there's a big um, a component within the schools that the kids are getting taught to pick up and, and look after the mm-hmm. ecologies. And the little kid picked up after his dad and was like, no, something like <laughs> that. And I was like, yes. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there That's is lovely. a big aspect of that. There's a lot of education in Galapagos, yes. in the settlements, and um, the kids are very aware. Yeah, it's it's actually good to see they've they've made lovely um, statues out of out of plastic. Yeah, um, there's a, there's a blue footed booby on one of the islands, yeah. oh. but created but created out of uh, plastic that's yeah. that's washed in. Um, you know, some of that is local material, but other other parts of it is washed in from the rest of the world. Mm. Just before mm. we finish up, mm. guys, Michelle, what are some of the special species of plants that are on the Galapagos? Well, um, certainly the cactus are, are very important. Yeah. There's a number of different sorts of cactus. There's um, the Apontia cactus, the ones with the big paddle-like mm. um, stem. Then there's the Jasminocereus, which is a candelabra cactus. And then there's another um, volcanic cactus, which is mu- much a much smaller species. So they're, they're very important. On, in the lowlands, um, there are passion fruits. There are tournafortia, which is like cherry pie. It's mm. a, one of the um, very fragrant plants. We certainly use that in our in our garden. Mm. Uh, the cordia lutea, which is one of my favourites. But there's there's mangroves, six different species. There, then in the highlands, there's a whole other range of species. Um, particular. A group of daisies called Scalacea mm. that have evolved as endemic plants to the Galapagos. So, you know, there's there's lot to see plant-wise. There's interesting gardens to see where people have used endemic plants mm. to create their gardens. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's place. a very special place, mm. and I'm I'm so jealous October. that you've been there and Em's been there. I'm going to get there one day. I'll October get there one next day. year, October yeah. November 2023. Yeah, all right, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll buy Tats a lot of ticket. Yeah. All right. That's our show for today. That's oh, gone super quick. quick. Thank you all for coming in, Craig, Michelle and Em. Thank I you. really appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed our chats this morning. So thank you for your insights and knowledge. Thank Pleasure. you. Thank you. Yeah. I must say a massive thank you to Doug, our producer. I love it when you are producing <laughs> our show. I feel so calm. Um, uh, thank you also to Liz and Karina who help out behind the scenes too. Um, we've had a big show today. If you're interested in becoming a producer with the 3CR Gardening Show, send us an email, uh, gardening at 3cr.org.au. Uh, get outside. Spring's here. We're not in lockdown. Not Rip up. Have a lovely day, everyone, and we'll be back at 7.30 next Sunday. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye.